I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. If a large number of the Chinese do become infected, the generation of new variants will increase. And the chances of a more virulent and even more infectious variant are increased. The risk of that is increased. You are listening to the Beyond COVID podcast from RAID, the Risk Assistance Network and Exchange. I'm Emily Donahue, and thank you for tuning in. In this podcast, our host David Lawrence talks with Dr. Bill Lang and Dr. Fred Southwick about the ongoing flu season and its complications for hospitals and health providers, as well as why you should not think that COVID-19 is in the rearview mirror. So let's listen. Okay, Fred and Bill, uh, as always, uh, thanks for making time for us. A lot has been going on uh, both here in the U.S. and uh, obviously abroad in Europe, China, with respect to a broad range, not just of COVID, but other infectious diseases. Maybe you can bring us up to date. Uh, Bill, do you want to kick it off? And Fred, uh, obviously, I have some specific areas to discuss with you as well. Yeah, I think a couple of things that are interesting is, is comparing where we are now to where we were last year at this time. Right now, we're running both in the U.S. and Europe with COVID cases a little over double last year as to where they are right now this year. So flu, that's, that's not a huge deal, but flu is a very different story. Flu hospitalizations this year are running at 37 times last year rate and five times the year before COVID. In fact, the last time that flu hospitalization rates were this high were in 2009. But at this point in 2009, the hospitalizations have leveled off and never again reached this the level that they were this week, week 48. Um, at least that's the last week that we have the numbers on. Um, but at this point right now in the U.S., they are still peaking. They're still going up. We don't see any sign of them leveling off. So that's a huge deal when it comes to flu. In Europe, flu is not yet, at least, had anywhere near the same degree of impact, although it is still going up. In fact, only Russia and Austria um, are have what is considered to be a significant outbreak of flu right now in Europe. Um, and then the other people were talking up until this last week, people kept talking about the triple-demic of COVID, flu, and RSV. Well, in the U.S., the rate of, of RSV peaked about three weeks ago, almost, almost a month ago now, and the current rate has dropped by about 50% from the peak. In Europe, it just looks like it may have peaked last week. It's still too early to say it's definitely a peak, but it also looks like it's coming down, starting to come down there. So the RSV component of the triple-demic may not be... Uh, a, a big impact going forward. Although, don't don't tell that to the pediatricians because they're still seeing double the rate of a typical year, but it's not out of the realm of reason. So, uh, in summary, it's where we are right now is in some ways 
Um, a lot worse, but mostly in terms of flu. But in terms of COVID, um, we're, we're actually much better off than we were last year. The problem is over the previous two years, thanks to um, our distancing, our avoiding crowds, our use of masks, uh, we were not exposed to RSV. Children were not exposed to RSV and adults and children were not exposed to influenza. So we're really a very immune, a naive population now. And that has resulted in a far more severe influenza than we've seen uh, in a very, very long time. And my experience so far from what I've heard, the, the cases of influenza are, are tend to be more severe than they have been in the past. And I've actually heard about some, some deaths. So um, it's a great, the influenza, is as big a concern, possibly more so than COVID-19 at this juncture. And one of the things that's very frustrating about influenza, which is a huge problem, is that it is, I don't want to say it's completely vaccine preventable, because as we've talked about in the past, the, the flu vaccine generally only has a efficacy of a somewhere around 50%. It actually looks like it's a little better than that this year. But the problem is that we're running 20% behind the number of people who've been vaccinated this year versus last year, and 8 to 10% below the long-term U.S. average. Uh, currently in the U.S., and this is as of a week ago, um, only about 46% of the population is immunized. And the reports are that in Europe, especially among the older at-risk populations, that they're not even getting to the 46% level. So that's a, that's a big problem. This is a vaccine, essentially preventable disease that people are not taking the simple steps with a long time proven safe vaccine to protect themselves and their families. So go get a vaccine. <laughs> Okay, well, let me let me ask this, and it's interesting because here in New York, I've actually had tales from uh, two clients who had to go to the emergency room, not because of this, but because of accidents, and they described just um, emergency rooms at two of the major hospitals here in Manhattan as being absolutely overrun, and um, they actually waited a day and a half. Uh, to be admitted, but they uh, were told uh, basically to mask up because the predominant number of people who were in the emergency room were there for respiratory issues. So I know you, you both have focused on the point of the exercise, which is to avoid being hospitalized. And the logical question I have for Bill, you, and Fred, is it the efficacy of the flu vaccine and if what you're saying is that that's not the issue, but rather people have not taken it, the real question I have here is, is why not? And what's, what's the impediment? My take on it is that people are just, they have vaccine fatigue. You know, we've been telling everybody to get vaccinated here for three years, again, with the focus being on, on COVID, and people are just done. But flu vaccine and COVID vaccine are two different things. I mean, there. While I agree that the COVID vaccine is good, there's there's a lot of people who aren't quite as sold on it as as some healthcare professionals like me are pretty sold on it. Um, but the flu vaccine, there's no question that the, it's it is a safe and pretty efficacious 
vaccine. So, Fred, do you have any thoughts? Well, I think what's happened is the public health departments uh, and public health messages have really been uh, a lot of people don't trust or don't have the respect for these institutions they once had because of the disinformation related to uh, COVID-19 and the COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, and that that's really unfortunate. So, uh, oh, they're telling us, I don't believe the experts anymore. There, there's really been a, a, a strong distrust for medical expertise, particularly in the field of infectious disease, which has uh, caused a very large number of deaths, as we've talked about before, and it's very unfortunate that it has actually drifted over from COVID-19 to influenza and all infectious disease control measures. And unfortunately, because of this, we are going to be experiencing very big surges of particularly respiratory infections as a consequence of not uh, wanting to institute any kind of public health uh, control measures. Fred, I actually just want to introduce a layer to what you've said, and this comes from speaking to a wide range of clients, but also the employee base of, of many of our clients. Um, I actually don't think there is a distrust in medical institutions. Where I do think the distrust uh, resides are in the doctors who are actually speaking on behalf of government agencies, or particular what I'll refer to things that people view as politically aligned. Uh, people are just tuning out the public service ads. And I think not enough institutions which haven't been politicized, which institutions which are not aligned with government agencies, the need for those groups to get out more to spread the word, because I think they are being believed. And I think the messenger does matter here. That's very interesting, David, and, and that's encouraging. I think one of the problems is that many of us have known Dr. Fauci for decades and have the utmost respect for his expertise and his motivations. And therefore, a number of people are fearful of uh, speaking out because they saw what happened to Dr. Fauci. Um, I'm not fearful of that, and I'm willing to speak out, but I'm only one voice. The other issue is that one individual physician has very little, uh, can't, they can't spread the word because they aren't really, uh, don't have, they don't have the microphone, they don't have the, the platform to actually spread the information. So it's really, I think, and the other point I would make is that a lot, a lot of public health officials were uh, beaten up, very, really given a very, very hard time, and a number of them quit. Because why should they uh, actually endanger their lives uh, trying to spread the correct information to protect people from becoming infected and then their lives be endangered? That just didn't make sense to them. So a number of them quit. So I think our hostile public environment right now is really interfering with the ability to spread a scientifically accurate message that could save lives. Bill, I don't know what you think about this, but... 
yeah, this is a it's a tough subject because I think sometimes in trying to do the right thing and trying to come up with the right end state, what we saw in the public health community was sometimes people would put out the message that was portrayed as fact, but it was what it was really trying to do was to influence the long-term outcome to what was, from a legitimate public health standpoint, perceived to be the best outcome. So I really worry about even you know, individuals or you know, organization spokesmen when they start speaking out, because just the way we are today in this country, once you start speaking out, you're immediately become political. I kind of would turn it around and I would say that individuals and especially organizations, when they are confronted with any kind of critical event, um, and not even just an event, a critical period of time, it's important to have trusted sources, resources that you can go to, to get an hopefully a political answer a, a you know in the words of the immortal sergeant joe friday adjust the facts ma'am um and that's that is very difficult to do but i think it's incumbent upon organizations especially to before the time comes is have these trusted resources lined up yeah i, I completely agree with that david and that i i think every company needs to have a resident expert they can go to, uh, who they can trust. And, and I don't think it can be right now, a public platform is just not trusted. So you're going to have to have private resources that you go to and that you can trust. And, and it's really, it's all a matter of trust. And unfortunately, trust is at one of the lowest levels I personally have ever seen. And with regards to the scientific facts, and particularly in the field of infectious disease. And I'm, I'm very saddened by this development, but that is the reality right now. Anyway, let me, let me switch. Uh, New York, uh, I will tell you, um, the hotels are booked. Tourists are coming in from all over the world. Uh, maybe we could just take a couple of minutes to discuss that as well. Well, I, I already touched on the European data a little bit. They're, they're about the same as we are with COVID. They're roughly um, half of where they were a year ago. Um, but flu, their flu is not getting hit as hard, and RSV looks like it's starting to come down in Europe. So Europe, you could, Europe's fairly comparable to us. The more interesting um, and and frankly scary is China. Um, you, know, if you read certain sources, Bloomberg is probably the one that, ones that um, comes to mind immediately. It's, it sounds like the sky is falling, and there is a high potential for China to have huge social disruption over the coming month or so because they are, uh, the way that's being portrayed is they are opening society um, and are going to be dumping in COVID on an unprotected society. Now, I don't think that's true. I think that China has three years of experience watching what the rest of the world has done. They have a vaccine that has high penetration. About 90% of the population is vaccinated, albeit it is not as good a vaccine, but it is still relatively protective against serious disease and death. But the, the basic point is that they've, they have a good idea how to deal with this. The big problems that they have, however, is that the older population, age 60 and up, 
is only about one-third vaccinated. So whereas in, in uh, other developed countries, the focus has been on getting the elderly population vaccinated first, that hasn't happened. The focus in China was on getting the, uh, the productive members of society, the economically productive members of society vaccinated so as to protect production. And they've still got a third of the elderly population who are the really at-risk population unprotected. So if there is going to be a problem, it is not, I, I'm afraid it's not going to be a primary problem of disruption of the workers. It's going to be what happens when the workers see their parents getting sick, when the hospitals are filled with these older at-risk people and people don't see that they can get the care that they need for other routine issues. It's going to be the second order effects of opening things up in a, with a, un, a underprotected elderly population where I'm worried that there may be uh, social disruption instigated. Um, I agree with Bill, uh, and uh, and the problem apparently was that the younger people did not trust the vaccine, and encouraged their parents, the elderly, not to be vaccinated. And as a consequence, uh, particularly the booster, uh, there has been uh, really no booster, and the Chinese government did not want to purchase the Moderna or the Pfizer uh, bivalent vaccine. And, and the problem with their killed vaccine, my understanding is that it has very, very poor coverage against all the Omicron variants. And it may not, uh, and, and, and I can tell you in our own personal experience at the University of Florida, uh, we have found that those over 60 years of age, vaccination with, and this is before the bivalent came on, was if you were hospitalized, vaccination did not protect you from death. Uh, and we had a, a mortality rate for Omicron among that population is comparable to the Delta and the earlier more virulent strains. And so what this means for the Chinese is that uh, if they aren't getting a bivalent vaccine, uh, they are at high risk of hospitalization and if they are hospitalized at high risk of death. And I remember what I was going to say earlier as to two other mitigating factors, however, is that one is I, I believe and I think a lot of people believe that the actual incidence rate of COVID in China is much, much higher than has ever been reported. And the reason for that is that if, if you had COVID, you knew what you were doing, you hid for five days because if you tested positive, you were going to be sent off to a to a COVID camp, which oftentimes meant being stuck into a shipping container uh, for five days with very little contact of anybody else. Um, so people would avoid reporting COVID. So I think that the COVID rate is that was actually the the cumulative COVID rate is actually much higher than was reported. So their baseline societal immunity may be better than we're expecting. And then the other big thing being that um, as as uh, Fred was was alluding to is that this is Omicron. This is not the earlier versions. But at the same time, as he said, that if you are in an at-risk population, you get Omicron, you still have a high risk of serious disease or death. So um, it's that's why I keep telling people that this is something to really be worried about. I'm not as worried about the young adult segments, 
but what's going to happen when when grandma and granddad um, are can't they're sick and they can't get into a hospital because the hospital's full? Um, that's going to be a problem. One one thing I would point out is that that a great concern for the entire world is that if a large number of uh, the Chinese do become infected, uh, the generation of new variants will increase, and the chances of a more virulent and even more infectious variant uh, are increased. The risk of that is increased. So the whole world should be concerned with the way that China is managing their infection. And, and when it comes to the pandemic, we really are all in this together. All right, that's a good closing note, Fred. And I again want to emphasize the teachable moments, but this is not simply a medical issue. This is This is a political issue. It is a communications and public relations issue, information, and the ability for institutional trust uh, has been jeopardized throughout this pandemic. Anyway, Fred, Bill, thank you as always for your insights and honest opinions. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents. David Lawrence is the founder of RAIN. And RAIN is a risk intelligence company that provides access to critical insights, analysis, and support to ensure business continuity and resiliency for our members. Learn about RAIN's suite of risk intelligence products at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. While you're there, check out the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, where you can get training, education, and be certified in the advanced methodologies and rigorous analytics that enable qualitative and quantitative scenario development and strategic forecasting and visualizations of geopolitical intelligence for your organization. Visit rainnetwork.com. Thanks for listening. 